HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash industry. Well, hello. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, May 20th, 2020. This is the 251st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is the founder of a strategy and design consultancy based in New York City, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do on every show, I will start with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion on COVID-19, my solo dining takeout experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to do your part. Get active, get involved, do what you can to help make the world a better place. As we adjust to a new normal with COVID-19, it's important to remember that we can be of service and that our acts and efforts, no matter how big or small, can make a difference. It's not about doing the most or the best. It's about doing something and what works and feels right to us. So do what you can and do it with pride as change and progress is a collective effort. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guest on the show with me. It is Anna Polanski, founder of Polanski and Friends, a strategy and design consultancy for those who use food as a beacon for community and change. Anna has worked in hospitality her entire career and has earned accolades from numerous organizations, including Forbes 30 Under 30 and the James Beard Foundation. Anna's recent initiative, Ask Chefs Anything, which she launched with Galen Quinn, is raising awareness and funds for immigrant work, the immigrant workforce of U.S. restaurants through online auctions. Hi, Anna. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you, and we've we talked about doing this for a while, so I'm glad I'm glad we're doing it now. Um, Times have certainly changed since we last saw each other uh, not that long ago um, when we were in Philadelphia for the chef conference. But um, it's really it's really great to connect. And uh, I always like to start with my my guests to find out about how they got into what they're doing today. So really a bit about your background, like how did when did you know you wanted to get into hospitality? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I come from a really food-obsessed family. Um, my dad is a fantastic cook. He has supper clubs. Um, part of my family also makes uniforms for hospitality. Um, so I've always been sort of surrounded by food and chefs. Um, and then I, I went on and studied political sciences and marketing. Um, and, you know, that's that's 15 years ago. And I guess I wasn't really sure at the time that food could be a career if I didn't want to be a chef. So I, I kept doing internships and small jobs in fashion and luxury, um, but just was really not fulfilled by that and ended up working in a restaurant in New York City when I was um, 18. Um, and that was amazing because that made me realize that I really want to work in food, but that I didn't want to work in restaurants. Um, and that's how I came back to France, started to work for Le Fooding, which is a guide there and never looked back. Still in food 15 years later. Amazing. So did you grow up in, in Paris? That's or, right, in France, okay. in Paris. So, um, wow, I, I miss Paris. <laughs> Just as someone who's visited and loves that city. Um, and is your, is your family still there? Yeah, they're there. Um, I have a little bit of family in New York, but most of them are in France. So. Yeah, well... Um, yeah, everything's everything happening today is affecting everyone around the world. So um, I hope you're. Is your I hope. I mean, I'm 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 going off uh, normal questioning. But is your family um, <laughs> doing well? Is is or how are things in Paris? Yeah, thank you for asking. Everyone's healthy, thank God. Um, and you know, the shelter in place order just ended, so things are slowly going back to the new normal. Um, I may say, and you know, a lot of our friends uh, work in food, so it's just good to see how much the government has supported them there, um, and that they can try to go back to business somehow right now. Yeah, well, that's good. Um, so. La fooding for people who don't know what that is or was, can you um, tell us? For sure. Um, Le fooding started as a guide. It's, um, it's a really powerful food guide in France. Um, but it started 20 years ago at a time where really the Michelin guide was the prevalent media for, for restaurants. Um, and there was some of the first, if not the first, to sort of challenge that notion that good food has to be the Michelin way, you know, um, luxury dishes and a lot of staff and tablecloths and all of that. Um, and so Le Fooding was um, really became a platform for a younger generation of chefs who were doing amazing things that were not Michelin compatible. Um, and by that, I mean all the bistronomy movement, all the, you know, wine bars movement, all those things. Um, and it also involved into a bigger agency, not just the food guide. They quickly did very innovative food events. They were some of the first to mix chefs with music and art, um, things that everyone does, you know, 20 years later, but it was very innovative. So um, that, that's, where, that's where I started. Yeah. And then you launched uh, the MP Shift uh, that was in New York City. Um, what I mean, what inspired you to do that? So, you know, Le Fooding, I was working with them. I was a partner for seven years. Um, I started their branch in New York and through that was able to work with incredible chefs from, from all over the country. Um, and I think they really they really helped me, they really shaped my approach to food, which was always more than just food. It was always food as part of a bigger culture. You know, like I said, we would always mix food with, with design and art and, and, and music. So that was really my background. Um, and after I left, because I didn't want to do so much event planning anymore, um, for a second, I started to help chefs to do their own marketing strategy. Um, and I realized that often the problem was not just the PR. The problem was just that there was no cohesive storytelling from A to Z. So there would be amazing chefs, but they might not know how to translate that into interiors or graphics or messaging. Um, and that's when I had the idea of creating the MP Shift, which was, you know, one of the first 360 creative agencies for hospitality. And um, I partnered with an old friend and it became what it was and it became more than we expected to be honest because when when i started with that idea a lot of chefs friends of mine would would laugh at me and say you know chef, food restaurants it's not like any other product you can't just have someone out of nowhere coming in and doing a 360 for you it's something that's so special and personal 
Um, and I very much agree with that, with the fact that it's personal, but you know, I see the role of a creative agency. Um, we're here to support that personal vision and to make sure it's properly translated. Um, so it ended up working out well, you know, and, and three years in, we won a James Beard Award and get a lot of recognition. And yeah, I think we, it was a good proof of concept. Ultimately. Oh, absolutely. And, and tying in, I think your idea with storytelling, I mean, to me as a publicist, it completely makes sense. And I mean, the restaurant design is, you know, knowing the story, part of the, it's part of the whole experience. It's the part of the brand. And we and and back when you won your james beard award which is amazing um we did a little interview from there i remember um in chicago and uh that was quite i mean that was incredible and what how did that winning that um change anything with your career did it i mean if at all or you know what was the Yeah, yeah. I remember you were one of the first uh, we talked to after that. Um, (laughs) I know. um, (laughs) I'm very honored. But yeah, look, no, that was a a game changer. Honestly, I I always tell everyone it's just um, it's been bigger than any article in the press we could ever get. That was just massive for for our careers. and I think, you know, there was good and bad coming out of this from a self-confidence perspective. That was wonderful. I think it also gave us the, the recognition we needed to convince people who were skeptical about the concept of the company. Um, and so definitely the, the business grew a lot, you know, and the, we ended up hiring a lot of people, um, getting bigger clients. But for me, that almost became um, a drawback because as we grew, we just were more and more disconnected from from more soulful projects. You know, we couldn't really take on smaller passion projects anymore. We had to keep working on bigger and bigger developments. And all the clients were great people, but I would say that the, they were they weren't so passionate about food any longer. It was more clients who were using food for business purposes, but there wasn't um, any bigger purpose to it. So, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and. So what led you to launch Polanski and Friends and 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 come up with the name, too, of not calling it, uh, I don't know, uh, Anna Polanski <laughs> LLC? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what, what I just talked about is really what made me realize that just, I, I, I love my clients and I love the scope we had developed with my co-founder at MP Shift, but... I just really, my passion is food. I come from food. I don't come from design or or from marketing initially. So for me, it was important to work with people who are equally passionate about food. Um, And I think also, you know, our country's been going through major political changes the past few years and a lot of chaos. Mm -hmm. And so I just was more and more conscious about what my role was into all that and what I could bring to the society, you know? So Polanski and Friend is really this idea that food can be used as a beacon for change, as you were saying in the introduction. Um, and so I, I still offer the same services. It's still, you know, strategy and design, but I'm really trying to focus on clients who use food um, with a greater purpose. Um, and the purposes can be multiple. I mean, it could be sustainability, diversity, education. Um, it just needs to be more than just having a, a hip restaurant. Um, so, so that's how the idea came and you know the name itself um, I, all my friends told me it was time for me to to own my brand because I was Anna from Le Fooding for almost a decade and I was Anna from MP Shift and so they were just like you can't create another brand that needs to be you um, but I just felt like Polanski could sound really Wall Street or lawyer-ish <laughs> so I wanted it to be more playful um, and you know the end friends aspect is, is very important for me and in the way I handle my work nowadays is I really think that I think COVID has shown that a lot right we can really help each other and, and work and create better work as a collective um, so I see myself as a strategist and creative director but I constantly collaborate with incredible talents whether they're graphic designers or architects um, or you know writers so it's it's me but it's me and a lot of friends always yeah no I love it it's <clears throat> it's 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 wonderful and and uh, everything you're doing in your work I you know I as I observe all of your your beautiful graphics and um, 
projects that you've been working on. It's, it's, it's quite impressive. And what has been, so what has happened now with COVID with, with your, with your services, with your clients, um, how, how have you, and, and they pivoted in this, this very um, unpre- unprecedented time? Well, it's really hard, right? I think what's hard for everyone right now is just the uncertainty. I mean, there's no, there's no real signal of when things are going to change again and when we're going to find solutions. So I wouldn't say that I'm moving forward with a, with a precise plan in mind and same for my client, but I am at least moving forward and just doing as much as I can. And I think, you know, putting on my website bio, the fact that I work with mission driven projects, it just, it was an obvious for me in a moment like that to, to be mission driven and, and to support mission driven initiatives. So that's kept me very busy. Um, on the one hand, I, I've been leading a lot of community campaigns um, to help people of our industry, restaurant workers, immigrant workers. Um, and we can talk about that more in detail. Um, but I've also, you know, I'm also trying to offer solutions to my clients who stayed on board. And, and right now they're all pivoting to delivery and to go. Um, so just trying to bring sensitive ideas for packaging, for customer experience, for activation. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it's just taking it day by day. Absolutely. Are most your clients based in New York and are they... Are they mostly restaurant type projects um, or? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of restaurants in terms of location. It's a mix of New York, Paris and California um, at the moment. Um, and yeah, most of them are restaurants, although I am also working with a few NGOs um, and, and bigger brands, hospitality or hotel brands. Yeah, well, before we get to your initiative, why don't I ask? my question from my last guest because it ties in Um, on episode 250 I had on Michael Schatzberg he's the managing director for branded restaurants and the founder and managing partner of branded strategic hospitality and he wants to know if you were to build a restaurant today post COVID what do you think that will look like from the design layout bar entrance and so on difficult uh, <laughs> my, my guess my you know the best questions on my show come from my last guest <laughs> um, I mean look I'm, I'm starting to think about it because I'm about to kick off a new design project actually and, and my client was asking me you know what are we going to do and, and I think it's it's hard to answer for sure we're going to have to take into account the, the distance needed between tables um, we're going to have to incorporate a takeout window or some sort of, you know, customer-friendly takeaway um, area. Um, so those are really practical things that we need to keep in mind. Um, but in terms of restaurants that exist, I almost feel like, you know, I, I don't really believe in all those gimmicky design ideas that we're starting to read about, like plexiglass dividers and, and all of that. I mean... Yeah. The sneeze guards, of course, I believe in, but, but reinventing the dining room, I don't really know that I believe, you know, to me, a restaurant's purpose is really to create um, moments that are comforting to the audience. And I don't see how that's going to happen um, for now for sit down dining. But I do hope that restaurants can use the time and hopefully for some of them, the PPP to create new formats, you know, and if it has to be to go or take away. Um, I feel like we can come up with really creative ideas to make that experience well-designed and soulful. So that's sort of where I'm trying to put my thoughts towards right now. Yeah, soulful. (laughs) We still need that. It's like that's some of these new things I've read about and seen too. I'm like, that's what it's missing. It's like like more of a, it's a function or a, a safety, but it's not soulful. So... Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think the the instinct for everyone in New York has been to just go to delivery because it's something that's been in the culture forever. Um, But I haven't seen for now a lot of creativity in the offering. It's either just a la carte takeaway or boxes. um, and I think there are different ways to do it. You know, I was looking at what's happening in Paris. Even a chef like Daniel Rose, who who, uh, who cooks at Le Coucou in New York, but he has restaurants in Paris. I love that he's been doing all those uh, more family styles options. You know, he has a lot of stews and blanquettes that you can take away and that feeds the whole family. 
And, you know, I like that idea that it's something that can incorporate in your routine at home. Um, you can freeze a leftover, you know, or you can serve it with something that you cooked rather than just ordering a portion à la carte. I don't see that as a very long-term solution. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's got to be interesting to, to look at what's happening in Paris and other parts of the world and how everyone is dealing with this because this has affected all of us. Um, so we can, le we can learn from each other. Totally. So, so this this awesome initiative that you started, Ask Chefs Anything. Um, how did it come together? So, um, my friend Gailene, who who really instigated this initiative, Gailene Queen, um, she like I, we both work at the intersection of food and impact. So, you know, we've always been interested in how to work with chefs, but also, again, how to work towards the greater good. Um, and so when COVID hit, I had on my end created an initiative to support restaurant workers. I designed an apron with Brigard, um, with all sales supporting um, the restaurant employee relief fund. So I was trying to look for ideas and, and Gailene had the idea of a chef's anything. She called me because she had a relationship with um, Chef's Warehouse, which is a wholesale food distributor. Um, so she knew that she could get highly discounted um, groceries, you know, and that could be really useful to feed people who don't get any support, such as the immigrant worker community. Um, I was obviously, you know, totally game to help. Um, it's, it's a community that's really the backbone of our industry. Um, and, and they pay a lot of tax every year, but they've been entirely um, ignored by the government. So um, was happy to jump in and, and we all of this came together really fast. You know, Galen has been handling all the uh, logistics, food distribution, all the community centers, um, relationships. And um, I've been helping a lot with my team on the branding and the, the strategy. Um, and now we have fabulous volunteers helping us as well. We're a little army of volunteers, um, you know, Lee, Andrea, amazing women helping us. Um, and we have also local project managers as the initiative is becoming national. Yeah, so, so talk a little about what the initiative is and how you, I mean, Ask Chefs Anything as, as, a, as an auction. And it's beyond, I mean, it's chefs, but it's also, uh, in, you know, strong or industry personalities and and I also you know I was impressed from the get go when I saw it online that you you know you did it in New York City and then what do you know a day later you're like we're in Los Angeles now and then that <laughs> ends and you're like and now we're in Philadelphia and I was like wow you're bringing this everywhere <laughs> <laughs> it's literally how it happened I mean it's those decisions are literally being made in 24 hours every time so I'm glad you noticed um, I did but, <laughs> but yeah so I mean yeah sorry I forget obviously not everyone knows about the actual campaign but the way it works um, is really easy basically we're asking people who know food and love food so whether it's professional chefs or you know writers or artists who love food we're asking them to auction off 30 minutes of their time um, and that's 30 minutes where the their auction winner can really ask anything so it's often been a mix of um, cooking tips and recipes and career advice um, and we found that it was really a sweet spot in terms of fundraising because it's a very light ask for chefs. Um, you know, right now they're obviously busy with, with personal matters, so we didn't want to ask them too much. And all we ask them is a couple of Instagram posts and 30 minutes of their time uh, with the winner. And then for winners, we thought that was a really nice experience to offer at a time where we can't offer anything material at the moment. Then there's not going to be any experiential. Um, in reality, so what a nice way to connect with some of their heroes. Um, and then, you know, for me, as I was saying, I'm very attached to storytelling, and I think it's a beautiful symbol to have some of our industry's biggest name come together and, and support the community that we never talk about, that we never see in our industry, all those backstage uh, workers helping us. Yeah, no, you're you're making it's it's having I guess it's having access to to <clears throat> these uh, you know people who love food or industry leaders and um, and for their getting their time and it's also I know you're it's not just a phone call it's like a, I think you're doing it's like a video 
30 minutes with them um, where they can ask them anything. And and you've been raising a lot of money through these through this auction. Um, how did you set I mean, how did you set your goals and, and where are you now with with um, with the funds you've raised? Yeah, it's been incredible. I mean, New York, our initial goal was $10,000. Um, and we ended up reaching that goal the first day. So we just wow. to go. So we just doubled the goal. And uh, next thing we knew, we actually tripled the initial goal. You know, New York raised over $30,000. Um, so that really encouraged us to, to aim for higher. Um, on the other end, we knew that New York was a little bit of a special case. You know, there are a lot of national stars in New York a lot of foodies um so we're not we're not expecting to to reach so much money in every other city but la i think we raised about um fifteen thousand dollars from the public and then um through sponsors postmates gave us another ten thousand dollars um philly was about the same ratio san pellegrino gave us money there so that's also what's nice is that a lot of brands now and people who want to support um are coming to us and you know are adding to the donation so all in all, we're at about $80,000 raised in three weeks between New York, LA, and Philadelphia. Um, and once you remove the auction site fees and, and such, that's about, that's the equivalent of 75,000 uh, meals delivered. It's so wonderful. Um, and, and meals for, for immigrant, immigrant workers, which you're focusing on, which, um, and, I think sort of you did answer this, but why why did you decide to focus on that? Just um, it's it's there are I don't know how many other initiatives are focusing on that, if any, but I think it's really wonderful and important. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, thankfully, uh, there's been a lot more press this past week about that issue. You know, there was a beautiful article in the LA Times about um, an undocumented worker being interviewed. Um, California just announced that they're gonna they're gonna invest in, in helping that community. So things are evolving a little bit, but when we started the the campaign a month ago, really nothing was being organized. I mean, it's not true. There's always a lot of you know, smaller grassroots campaigns, but we just right. weren't seeing any any strong marketing campaign drawing awareness around this issue or any national um, movement. So, um, so we thought we needed to help. And you know, like I said, I had already been doing something for just re- any sort of restaurant workers, uh, and um, and we started to read more articles about farms and how there was no more labor, no more immigration, and those people weren't receiving support. So we thought we need to, to help. And, and again, I think it's true of every industry. This is a community that's vulnerable and need to be helped. But especially for the food industry, there's no food industry without the immigrant workers. You know, They're the ones harvesting the food. They're building the restaurants. They're preparing the food, cleaning our dishes. I mean there's such an instrumental part of our industry that it felt right for us as food people to try to help them. Yeah, absolutely. So where, where, what, where are you going next? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lots of, lots of, uh, yeah, lots of cities. We have right now five more cities lined up until the end of June. Um, This week we took a little bit of a break, but next week we're doing Miami. Um, It's my hometown. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, cool. Well, we should talk offline then. Um, yeah, we should. Um, so Miami is exciting. Then we're going to have St. Louis. We're going to have Dallas, Chicago, San Francisco, and Nashville are in the plan right now. Oh, so cool. Yeah, and, and this, and for people listening, you can, you know, I'm getting all my information through Instagram, which you have the hashtag and the handle for Ask Chefs Anything. Um, That's right. And it's been such a strong campaign and your design work is definitely, um, you know, it's captured, I think, even more of the audience that you would have normally because it's so it's it's so it's so beautifully um, put together with your with your with your design. Thank you so much. I mean, uh, you know, it's something I've said in the past. I really hope it sort of becomes a case study to prove that uh, investing a little bit of time and energy in the right branding and in the right marketing can make a huge difference for important topics. Um, And that sounds obvious to me and probably to you as a publicist, but I think 
traditionally in the past uh, really serious people on the ground um, just never felt like that was that necessary or didn't really want to find time for it and um, I hope it shows that again as a collective we can come together and, and, and do something powerful and reach a wider audience. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think you're doing it. And so congratulations to you. I mean, great work, really. Really, you should be proud. So on that happy note, let's take a little break. Uh, and we will come back and we'll talk more with Anna. And we will have my speed round game. We'll have industry news, uh, my solo dining experience, and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Square. We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash industry. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guest today is Anna Polanski, the founder of Polanski and Friends. And Anna, it's time for my speed round game. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm a little anxious. Let's do this. Oh, no, no. You're, you're, I'm, I'm confident in you. You're gonna, this is going to be great. And there's no rules. There's no right or wrong. You, you just pick your preference. I give you t- two or more choices, such as chocolate or bur- or vanilla. So here we go. Eat in or eat out? Right now, it in. <laughs> I feel you. <laughs> Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Wine, all the way. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte, all the way as well. Okay. <laughs> Small plates or large plates? You know what? More and more large plates, I have to say. Ah, nice. Communal table or chef's counter? Uh, I'll go with the spirit of a communal table. Yeah, we'll see what happens with communal tables in the future. <laughs> How about um, tipping or all-inclusive charge? Uh, I'm French. Gotta say all-inclusive. Okay. Designing restaurants over 75 seats or under? Under as much as possibly with business. Yeah, well, that's the James Beard. uh, (laughs) That's my category. (laughs) Over or under. So um, (laughs) how about creating playing cards or aprons? Uh, can I say both? Yes, because that's not <laughs> my, my question. Isn't really fair. <laughs> <laughs> I have created both, but I also feel like both are a good thing to use during COVID. So I'm all for yeah, it. Yeah, well, well, you did. I mean, for people listening, you did create both, and these they're playing cards. The We Are Chefs cards were really cool. Thank um, you. They're still available for sale. They're they're cards um, highlighting women chefs of America, and you can find them on our websites if you want to play with them. Fabulous. Okay, two more. Cheese plate or dessert? Dessert, if I have to choose. 
I had this moment. I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking cheese. Maybe she's gonna go cheese <laughs> from delicious plates of Europe. But okay. there is a there is a quote on that note that I was uh, reading about a, a couple of years ago, which is that a uh, dessert without cheese is like a, a woman missing an eye. I sort of agree with that. <laughs> All right, that's a good one. <laughs> And my last one's Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Paris. Uh, it's hard. I mean, Brooklyn over Manhattan, but Paris forever. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so industry news. You know, I've been covering COVID on my show, and I have two articles. The first, I guess, we kind of like I don't know referenced it a little before, but this is on a site called C News. And the title was "Coronavirus: A Designer Has Found the Solution for Restaurants," and it's talking about how a French designer has has put to, has designed these plexiglass bells that hang from the ceiling, and it's kind of like a large visor, I guess you'd say, around the person sitting at the table. And there was an image of it, so you could get the visual of three people sitting around the table with these like visors over them as a way to um, help with, you know, with, with keeping, you know, versus having masks on and keeping, keeping us safe. Um, I, 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 I can't say I really loved it. <laughs> um, what, what was your take? <laughs> I mean, I have to say of all the solutions I've seen, popping up it was one of the nicer ones the way that was designed the sort of glass yeah. uh, bells over people um but then again i just feel like is this really the experience we want if we want to go out and get comfort um i'm not sure i'm more excited right now by the idea that possibly streets will be closed and outdoor dining will be possible rather than those uh, plexiglass cloche <laughs> 100%. And you're right. I mean, I don't know. There was something about someone uh, hanging like uh, shower curtains within a restaurant. I was like, oh, no. Like, <laughs> I can't. There's just something. It's like, yeah, I don't know. There's something about like why we go out to eat and being, you know, the energy and the the style or the I don't know. These were these these were very stylish, this this design, but it's felt Um, I don't know how I would feel um, dining under this, like, kind of, I guess, umbrella or over, yeah. you know. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it creates little bubbles of isolation when the whole goal is together. And it it's also just, so, you know, so hygienist and such a reminder of uh, the virus being all around us. I just don't think that we want, we want to have that on our minds when dining. So Right. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see what what if what uh, things other people come up with, or what what eventually you know how restaurants do, um, you know, make changes. Uh, the the other article I had was from the New York Times uh, by Kim Severson, and the the title was "The New Face of Restaurant Hospitality Wears a Mask." As dining rooms slowly reopen, owners are scrambling to reduce risks and reassure customers with an array of gear. Face coverings lead the way. So this is, you know, Kim. Kim was a past guest on my show. Kim's amazing writer, and she lives. She's based in Atlanta, and so she, this article talked about how it was her first rest, first time going back to a restaurant uh, at a. It was a steakhouse called Chops, and um, I guess the key takeaway or a lot of the focus of this article was just about how all the waiters were wearing masks or the requirement to wear masks or not wear masks. And um, I think that is masks are definitely in our future. They're, I mean, they're here now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's so hard, right? I, I think, I mean, I've been reading that article and I read Pete Wall's article and it's difficult. I feel like on the one hand, it's important to talk about, what's happening right now now that restaurants are reopening but uh, i'm also worried that it just creates more fear for the readers um and i feel really i feel really bad for restaurateurs you know who are trying to get back on track but every article says that it's not cool right now to go to restaurants so 
I don't know. I just, uh, like I said, I don't believe that trying to stick to traditional sit-down dining is the, the smartest way to move forward at the moment, but I'd love to see more articles, um, maybe offering ideas, you know, or helping restaurateurs. Yeah, I mean, also, I mean, it's just, you can't, can't eat with a mask on and it's just it's 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 a tough situation and i speaking of masks though are you are you looking at or thinking of um or maybe talking to your clients about doing branded masks because i see that i see it it's got to happen like that everyone's all of a sudden as part of as part of uh merchandise or or (laughs) uniform or or marketing, I can just see masks with logos and create creative, you know, designs on them. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, it's funny that I actually didn't think about it. I guess I just have I've been impressed by companies like Brigard that I work with, but also um, Headley and Bennett, obviously, you know, stepping up and creating all these masks. So, um, you know, I'm more of the, when it comes to branding, I'm more of the school of less is more and i don't think we necessarily need to brand everything um and i'd rather have my clients support existing makers who are making awesome masks um yeah yeah That's yeah we'll have plan. to see and i have i have a headley and bennett mask and i i it's it's fabulous it's 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 if it, it fits my face well and it's um it has you know she was so smart to put in the pocket with a, a removable filter um, I give I give Ellen and her team a ton of credit for just that initiative and where, what she's done. <laughs> yeah, great work and so so reactive, so fast as well. That was great to see. Yeah, really, really quick and um, for sure. So, well, all this, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it will be interesting to see how these conversations change as as time moves on. But I I am one hundred percent with you with. Uh, outdoor dining as as an option and especially now that the weather is getting good and we want to be outside yeah we want to be out for sure (laughs) so um well great so for my solo dining takeout experience this week i am going to give the rundown of what happened when i came across dominique anzel bakery so here, here we go. The location, 189 Spring Street, Soho, New York City. The concept, a bakery and cafe serving creative and beautiful pastries known for its world-famous cronut. The chef and owner, Dominique Ansel. So why did I take out? Well, I was in the, in the neighborhood and I was a bit hungry and a bit thirsty and I was very excited they were open. So my experience. So this was actually a couple weeks ago. Um, I had I I live up by Columbus Circle, but I had ventured down on a city bike to the Tribeca and Soho area, and I was then walking around. Um, the streets were just quiet and empty, and there really wasn't anyone. Uh, anyone, uh, many people out at all, and and most places were closed. So I came across the the bakery and they were open and I was just so excited. So um, they had a sign outside that you had to wear a mask to enter and I had my mask on. So uh, I went in uh, and they were set up for takeout and delivery. There was a little line, a few people waiting. Um, it was a limited menu. Um, and I ordered at the counter, I paid, I waited a few minutes, uh, I got my goodie bag and coffee to go. And then uh, the bakery is located right near a playground in Soho that has outside tables. So I sat down at a table and I uh, enjoyed what I got. And so what did I get? I had their almond croissant and a cold brew. And my take, it was just a heavenly pastry. Um, it was just filled with, you know, fabulous cream. And the cold brew, you know, was for an, uh, just perfect. You know, it was, a, it, was a great, it was a great snack to have. So the ambiance was the quaint and quiet streets of Soho. I'd say it's perfect for sweets and coffee lovers. Interesting tidbit. So Dominique posted the other day that he just had his first baby. He had a little baby boy. And amazingly enough, the baby was born on the same day that the cronut is credited <laughs> being born. 
And I just saw that and I was like, that is just fabulous. Um, wow. Yeah. I hope, right? I hope the babies as successful as the Kermits. <laughs> I, mean, I, wow. I mean, I'm sure if he has the genes of Dominique, yes, I'm <laughs> sure he will be. But I mean, what, a, I mean, how you can't, I mean, you can't, you can't. <laughs> You can't even, uh, you know, wish for that or I don't know, just one of those crazy coincidences. Um, And Dominique also has bakeries in L.A., London and Hong Kong. And my personal fun fact is that I met him many years ago when he used to work for Danielle Ballou at Danielle Restaurant. And he was the executive pastry chef. And this is way before the cronut was invented. And he's super talented chef and and really nice guy and you know he's just been he's now known for the grown-up but um you know he was he was doing amazing things even before then so um it's great to see his success the cost of of my my snack and coffee was eleven dollars not including tax and gratuity would i go back yes and their website's dominiqueanselny.com so there we go I need to go. Yeah. It was amazing. It was one of those, you know, I just, it was like in the moment where I was like, this place is open and I'm a fan and I'm going to support and get myself a treat. <laughs> no, that's great. And, and I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan of Dominic as well. Before the corona, you know, I knew, I saw, I mean, I knew him, I knew his work from France and, and then saw him evolve in New York. So he's a great, great guy. And so is Amy, his wife. Yeah. Yeah, um, no. If you're in the this West Soho area, uh, you should check out my husband's cafe that just reopened as well, O Cafe on six and twelve. What's um, it called again? O Cafe. It's been oh. a sort of a you know staple. It's been ten years. Um, it's in the space where Joe Junior used to be the iconic diner, um, and so he just reopened yesterday for for takeout. So. I didn't realize that was your husband's place, and I am familiar. I've been there several times. I've gone there, uh, you know, to do work, and and you know, my coffee, my coffee uh, <laughs> laptop combo. <laughs> Amazing! I hope you had the the pound de queijo, which is delicious. Um, I but have. Thanks. Something really nice that he actually just started doing today that I think is a good idea for any neighborhood place reopening is that he's sort of partnering with a lot of other places from the neighborhood, including a trattoria that makes fresh pasta, including with um, Sullivan Bakery, you know, that that bakes bread. Um, and he's going to carry some of their products at O Cafe and maybe the other way around. So sort of like promoting the neighborhood's makers and, and foods. It's such small world stuff because I'm Sullivan Street Bakery has been a client of mine and I just met up with Jim Leahy yesterday and we talked I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more work for them and he had mentioned to me about O Cafe, like it's all tying together. Perfect. <laughs> so I love seeing the support and the partnerships. It's really it's really great. It's great. Yeah, small world. So um, more, more for us to talk about um, after the show, for sure. Totally. Okay, so it's time for the final question. Uh, my next guest is Kevin Bame. He is the co-owner of Boca Restaurant Group, which is based in Chicago. And it's, it's such a wonderful, successful restaurant group. He has over 20 restaurants, and Kevin is also a part of the Independent Restaurant Coalition. Um, I'm really, I'm really excited to have him on the show next week. So, uh, Anna, what would you like to ask him? Well, I think you know. I mean, it is something we just touched on talking about price, but I'd be curious to hear from from such. Uh, uh, talented restaurateur and, and restaurant owner, what, where does he feel like our community, the, the media and the marketing and the design community can be most helpful right now for restaurants, you know, because I think a lot of us have a little bit of free time at the moment and are desperate to help. So I'd love to hear more from restaurateurs what they need. Um, I think a lot of them don't take the time to think about what they need or don't dare asking for help. So it'd be great to know. It's great. Thank you. I will ask him. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really good question. And so we'll have to see what what he says. So um, that's the show. And you are just wonderful. And I just I just want to like say 
like keep keep up all your amazing efforts and everything you're doing and with your business. I wish you so much success and um, just congratulations on it all. Like you're you're very inspiring to to me and to other people as well. Thank you so much, Sherry, and thanks for always giving me a platform to talk. I really appreciate it. Um, anytime, anytime. So. Uh, my guest today has been Anna Polanski. She's the founder of Polanski and Friends. Her website is polanskiandfriends.com and on social media at Anna Polans at Polanski and Friends and at Ask Chefs Anything. And is that's your website too, Ask Chefs Anything? Or- yeah, exactly. Yeah, Galen and I set it up. So you have all the basic info about the initiative at uh, askchefsanything.com. Great. You can right. find me. I'm just going to close out. You can find me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So tomorrow, I'm back doing one of my Instagram lives at All Industry. May 21st at 3 p.m., I'm going to be talking with hospitality lawyer Jasmine Moy and get her get her input on what's happening with the law and the current status of things due to COVID-19. So you can tune in then and it will also be saved on IGTV. Thanks to my engineer today, Amanda Wang, and thanks again to Anna. I'm Sherry Bayer. Be safe, be well, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.